As the ushers pass the uh, offering baskets, we're going to go ahead and begin our sermon uh, this morning. And you can see that if you look at the bulletin, you can see that the title is A Deeper and More Accurate Longing. Are we having problems back there? Is it, it's not me, right? Okay. So they're going to fix the PowerPoint slide just a moment. A Deeper and More Accurate Longing. This is Palm Sunday. And it would be very normal on a day like today to go to a passage like Mark 11. We're going to be in Mark 11, the end of June. So rather than go to that passage that's already on our schedule, um, I decided to do something different. I also could take the time to look at some of the events of Passion Week and and what happens as Christ leads up to the cross. And we've got a Friday evening service that I think is going to be powerful for us where we're going to have that as our focus And then along with today being Palm Sunday, we're also observing the Lord's Supper. You can see the elements up here. We'll be partaking towards the end of our service. And as we think about Palm Sunday and the Lord's Supper, both of them have to do with anticipating the coming kingdom. And so in the story of Jesus, what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, he was riding in the Jerusalem and they were proclaiming him king. They were looking forward to the coming of the kingdom. And as we partake of the elements here, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11 that as we partake of these elements, we proclaim the Lord's death, that's looking back, until he comes, that's looking forward to his kingdom. Both Palm Sunday and the Lord's Supper have this element of anticipation. And that's what we want to focus on. And so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 25 If you want to turn there, if you need a Bible, our elders have a Bible that they would like to give you. If you just lift up your hand, um, they will put one in your hand. Just make sure you lift it up high and wave it if they don't see you. Um, If you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you. Uh, Feel free to take it, use it. Um, If you do have one, you just forgot it, you just leave it in your chair and we'll pick it up at the end of the service. But we're going to be looking at Isaiah 25 in just a moment. But before I read from that passage... I don't think I would have to convince you that there's a lot of pain in this world. Even in this room, there's a lot of pain. Uh, The things that we are up against in our lives. In the past weeks, this is what I've been confronted with as I have lived life with people around me. I've been confronted with a person battling drug addictions and they just feel the burden of that, the weight of that and the way it's wrecking their lives, the pain of it all. A couple dealing with the attempted suicide of their son. Just imagine the anguish of what that would be like to be walking that path. A marriage dealing with the fallout of unfaithfulness and just the way that sin has consequences in the number of people that it, it begins to ultimately impact. The pain of not being chosen for marriage. A young lady longing to be married, watching other people around her married and having children and, and just feeling the pain of that. A person feeling trapped in a twisted relationship. A family grieving the poor choices of their daughter, their sister. A person faced with choices which all seem to have negative outcomes. In other words, here's your three choices. They're all bad. That's a painful place to be. A son grieving the poor choices of a father living in duplicity, longing for his dad to be a strong man for him. Parents agonizing over the poor choices of their son. And it could just go on and on. There'd be even other stories. 
What about for you? That's just my last few weeks. What has your last few weeks been like? What fits into that category for you? If you're like me, and what I want to talk about today is longing. And if you're like me, your longing is that your pain will be over. Oftentimes in the midst of pain, we long for it, whatever it is, fill in the blank, for it to be over. Or even for Jesus to come back so that it will be over. If you've spent any time around me at some point in time, you've heard me say, oh, Jesus, just come back. My family wearies of that. Oh, Jesus, just come back. There's something legitimate about that. But what I want to walk us through today is there's something that is shallow about that too. And that's why I've entitled the message, A Deeper and More Accurate Longing. That longing is legitimate. That should always be there. Whatever the it is for us, we should long to be out of that. But our longing for the coming of Jesus needs to go way deeper, way deeper than that. We long for relief and we see the return of Christ as the answer to our problems. They were having the same struggle in the book of Mark, looking to Jesus to be the answer to all their problems. But the return of Christ is more than simply getting relief from that it and that problems that we have. The more we understand the greater significance of this return, I think the deeper and more accurate our longing for this return becomes. Above all, and here's where I want to go. Above all, we need to become a people who long for that day when this world in which we live will be the kingdom of the Lord. And every knee will bow before him and give him the glory that's due his name. Our longing needs to be about him and about his glory foremost of all. Longing to be out of our pain, that's legitimate, but there's a deeper longing that we all need to have. And I want you to to walk through this with me and so you can be thinking about some things that I've been thinking about. Isaiah chapter 25, let's read verses six through nine. Back in 2010, we went through the book of Isaiah and actually we're on this particular passage right here. Powerful passage, thinking about the future. 25 verse six. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said again on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's that longing for that day that's out there where God's promises will be fulfilled. Skip over to chapter 26 and verse one. Again, in that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates at the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Therefore, the conclusion of that matter is trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Well, we look forward to that day and there's so much to look forward on that day. And as we've been going through the book of Mark, we have seen that emphasis. And that's the first point I want us to look at this morning. I'm just going to turn over to Mark chapter 1. If you would like to turn there with me. And what I want to do is just step back and show how Mark has been emphasizing the kingdom right from the very beginning. There's no birth narrative, no cutesy shepherds, no wise men bringing gifts, no angels filling up the sky with glory, no sheep in the the stable. We get the forerunner of Jesus right from the get-go. Going back to the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, Isaiah as well, looking forward to this one who's going to come and prepare the way, Isaiah 40 verse 3. The one who's going to prepare the way, we call him the forerunner. John the Baptist is going to be coming. And that's where Mark begins his story. The forerunner is here. And he quotes these passages back in the Old Testament. God is on the move, bringing forth his kingdom. And then immediately in chapter 1, verse 9, it says, In these days Jesus came. Not only is John the Baptist forerunner here, but immediately nine verses into his gospel, Jesus is ready to begin his ministry And so he appears. He's ready to begin bringing the gospel of the kingdom to a people that needs to hear. And so in the book of Mark, when we step back, what are we going to learn about this kingdom? Well, there's a number of different things that we learn. And I'm just going to give a few points of overview, and then I want to begin to apply this to our lives. The first one is the kingdom is here. The already not yet kingdom. You've heard us use this phrase before. Chapter 1, verse 15 of Mark, Jesus comes and he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's here. Jesus says, with his appearance, he's being the Messiah, with his appearance, the kingdom is here. And he brings a bunch of kingdom realities. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He opens up the ears of the deaf. He causes lame to walk. He raises the dead. That's kingdom realities. It is here, it's already, but it's also not yet because this Jesus went to the cross, died, was resurrected, descended to the right hand of the Father and we are in a waiting period until the King of Kings returns to earth and establishes his full-blown kingdom on the world. In other words, it is already, but it is not yet. So it's here, but we also celebrate it. And throughout the book of Mark, We have a focus on this kingdom emphasis throughout. We've seen a number of passages already and we're going to continue to see them in the passages to come. Second thing I think we can just step back from Mark. We see that there are forces that oppose this kingdom. Immediately with Jesus being baptized, chapter 1, verse 12 of Mark, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Satan opposes everything that the Messiah is tending to do in this world. There are forces that oppose the kingdom. There are demons. Jesus of Nazareth, what do you have to do with us? And so they oppose Jesus. And even I remember how it impacted me to get to chapter 3, verse 6. We are just three chapters, six verses into the Bible When in chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. These are the religious leaders. Messiah is in their midst and they oppose. They oppose his coming. 
The third thing I think that we can just step back and see is that people can resist and reject the kingdom. The religious leaders that we just looked at, they're an example of that. They have been entrusted with the Torah, the the word of God, the entire Old Testament. They have that to read and all the promises of God and the way that they're gonna be fulfilled. And Messiah's right in front of them giving the signs that the Old Testament called for. And what did they do? They resisted. They rejected this kingdom. Or even to look at the parables. We looked at this a few weeks back. Rob Lister took us through these parables of the soils. And there are four, times of so- four kinds of soil. And the first three, what do they do? They resist. They reject the kingdom. The fourth soil is good soil that receives that seed. And a plant grows and produces fruit. And so constantly as the word is being thrown out and scattered, it's landing on hearts. And we're doing something with that word. We're either receiving that word and growth is happening. In other words, fruit. Or we're resisting and rejecting. And we see throughout the book of Mark that people reject. People either walk away, try to destroy him, or they get what they can from Jesus and then go on and live their lives. I think fourthly, we see that the kingdom is only accessible through Jesus. And we celebrate that this morning, apart from Jesus coming, we have no celebration such as this today. Apart from Jesus coming, the songs that we just sang would have never been written. It was necessary for Jesus to come. And the gospel of Mark, the, all of the gospels, the entire New Testament, the Old and the New Testament, everything is pointing through there is one way to have favor with God. There's one way to get into the kingdom And that is through Jesus. There is no kingdom without Jesus. All of our longings are ultimately met in him. And then one final point, there could be others, but the final one I want to pull out today is people were anxiously looking for the kingdom. And I want to build on this particular point right here. All the gospels give the details of this. People are anxiously awaiting this coming of the Messiah. They're longing for it. And so in passages like Mark 11, which is a very traditional Palm Sunday passage because that's what happens on Palm Sunday, they are laying down palm branches in the road, pronouncing his kingship. But God has other plans. And so I think it's important for us to step back again and look at a difference, the differences in kingdom perspective. I want us to look at the perspective of the people and the perspective of God. And then the next step I want us to go is think about our own perspective and how do we align our perspective with God's perspective. That's what I want to do in the time we have. So first of all, the perspective of people. They had a perspective. They longed for an immediate fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And so all the events from Jesus coming onto the scene all the way up to chapter 11, they finally are recognizing who he is. They're laying palm branches in the, in the road, a sign of honor. He's coming in on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 has prophesied this. Um, they're, they're singing the song of praise that we find in Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're longing for the kingdom. John spells all this out for us as well. Even beginning in chapter one of John, verse 49, Nathanael meets him. And Nathanael says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
that recognition was spreading. You can trace this through John. It's fascinating. But one of the passages in John, chapter 6, verse 15, you got to pause and think about this for a minute. This is, this is intensifying. They are longing for the kingdom. Chapter 6, verse 15 of John. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The crowds are pressing in. They see him as Messiah. They're going to take him by force and set him up as king. And eventually we get to what we call Palm Sunday where Jesus comes riding in on this donkey. They longed for an immediate fulfillment of the kingdom of God. So they expected a Messiah who would immediately solve their problems. That's what they wanted. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 tells, them what, tells us what they were expecting. What was it? I mean, think of all these things. Good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to captives. Opening of the prison to those who are bound. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The day of vengeance of our God. Comfort all who mourn. Grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. And the Messiah comes. Their eyes are on him. And that's what they expect. They expect a kingdom. They expect the the Romans to go away and God to establish his rule and reign. And then Jesus dies. It's really more than they can take in. In Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, two disciples meet meet Jesus on the road. And in Luke 24, verse 21, they're talking to Jesus about all the events that have happened. And then notice what they said. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. See, read between the lines. Their, Their thought is, oh, well, guess he's not. Back to fishing. We've got to get back to our lives. He's dead. But we've heard he's risen. But see, notice the point. They had hoped that he was the one. They were hoping for all this, but Jesus died. He didn't bring about a new kingdom. Acts chapter 1 even tells us more. Jesus finally meets with them and they see the nail-scarred hands. They see the wound in his side and he's walking in their midst. But then in chapter one, verse six, he goes out to a mountain. He says, so when they had all come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now's the time. We got this death thing over with. How about now? And Jesus doesn't. He doesn't restore the kingdom at that point. But notice what's going on. They longed for the kingdom. And with Messiah here, they expected the kingdom of the Lord to come. That's all legitimate, but let's look at the perspective of God. God's plan is to make the kingdom of this world the kingdom of our Lord. He is moving everything toward the reality of what we read about in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. And this is what it says. Then the angel blew his trumpet And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Think about the world we live in right now. Think about the devastation of sin. Think about the difficulties that you're up against. Think about all the things that go wrong. The kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and he reigns forever. That's God's plan. But apart from Messiah coming, there's no one in the kingdom. 
Apart from the Messiah coming and dying on the cross, what we're going to celebrate today, the catechism, the verse, there's none righteous, no, not one. And so the Lord's going to crush him, going to pour out his wrath on him. He's going to die in our place. Apart from Jesus doing that, there's no one in the kingdom. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So what does God do? He sends a Messiah who would die in order to draw all people to himself. And then when the gospel has gone to all people to set up his kingdom so he can be glorified. That's a glorious plan. That's God's plan. The Old Testament provides us a very succinct view. Israel, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, but in the end, God is going to send his anointed one and he's going to establish his kingdom. They were legitimately looking for the kingdom. And when we long for Jesus to come back so that we will be rid of our pain and sorrow and every tear will be wiped away, we are legitimately longing for the kingdom. But there's more. There's something deeper. There's something more accurate. It's that this kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. But how is that going to happen? And that's what God does with his plan. Not only does Jesus come, but Jesus comes to die on the cross. And the New Testament is going to take the succinct message of the Old Testament and it's going to explode it for us. So we can see that this coming of Messiah actually happens in two phases and it is necessary for that to be so. It happens in two phases. Phase number one, the Messiah comes to die on the cross so you and I could have life. And then he's going to come phase two and set up his kingdom. Why the gap? Why the interlude? Because this message of Jesus coming so that all could have life, God wants to extend to all people. All nations, all people, all tongues. And so we're in a period of time where in Acts chapter 1, is now the time, Jesus? Jesus says, no, I'm going back to the Father. I'm sending you out as my witnesses. And you're going to take the message to people so all can know the name of Jesus and all can give me glory that's due my name. It's an incredible plan. So God first makes a way for us rebellious people to be reconciled to God. Then he's going to come again and set up his kingdom. So when Jesus comes his first time, he doesn't fulfill the expectations of the people. Mark 10, 25, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why Jesus comes. He received God's wrath in our place. That's what we're celebrating today. And apart from this happening, all the covenant plan throughout the entire Old Testament, everything is done away. Nothing is going to happen apart from Jesus coming because there's no reconciliation with God. Abraham's hope was in vain. The people of promise, the nation of Israel, their hope was in vain because Jesus needed to die. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. Jesus died that we might live. So here's the point. So it was different than they expected, but it was everything they needed. When Jesus came, it was different than they expected, but it was everything they needed. And so you read chapters like Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 chronicles the life of faith of so many people in the Old Testament. And the point it makes along the way is each one of these individuals none of them received what was promised. Why? And it says this, since God had provided something better for us. 
They didn't receive what was promised because God had something grander than that. That people of every tribe, nation, tongue could be brought into the family and be reconciled to God. That's amazing. That's what we've been celebrating this morning through all of our singing and opening up God's word. That's what we're seeing in the book of Mark, the story of God making this happen. A few years back, we had a series, God Makes a Way. We went through the entire Bible. And where is the focus constantly? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Because apart from that, we don't have any hope. There's none righteous. No, not one. We've all gone astray. We're all rebellious. We can't earn our favor with God. God is merciful to us, but his mercy is in Jesus. That's what we were singing. It's in Jesus and it's in Jesus alone. Well, how do we align our longings with God's plans? This is, this is where the Lord has really been working in my heart. And I want to share these with you. And just, you just see what applies to your life. Number one, we should long for the Lord's return when he will make all things new. That's legitimate. I am not trying to minimize this Jesus come back so that we get out of all this pain and difficulty in our lives. There's legitimacy in that. Romans 8, 18 through 39, all creation groans, even we ourselves groan inwardly, longing for that day of redemption. We long for that. We're groaning. And what does Jesus do on that day? He wipes away all the tears. The groaning is gone. That's legitimate. In fact, God gives this to us as hope. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. What he says there is, what we're going through right now is momentary light affliction. Momentary and light. And here's his point. It, this right here, it, all of our it's put right there, momentary light. Those it's are nothing to be compared to the eternal weight of glory. What's Paul saying? Hey, you hang in there because what is out there for you, wow, there's no comparison. And so that's legitimate for us to long for that day. And so when I say, Jesus, just come back, that's legitimate. For the Israelites, when Jesus comes onto the scene, for them to long for him to restore the kingdom, that's legitimate. But here's where I want to take you. There is more. The second point, I want to give us four here. Second one is this. We should long for the Lord's return in a manner that produces holiness in our lives and in the lives of others. And here's the point I'm trying to make. In the same way, the same amount of intensity, the same energy I have, that Jesus would come back so my pain would be done, that depth of longing, all of that energy should be equally pointed toward holiness in my life. You follow what I'm saying? That same desire for Jesus to come back, there should be that same desire for holiness in our lives. As we long, our holiness should be a priority. Holiness should be our pursuit. We are being sanctified. There is something bigger going on than just our relief. There's something deeper going on than just our relief. Look over at 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is talking about the end times and the coming of the Lord, the wrath of God being poured out. And then notice what he says in verse 11. 1 Peter 3, since, 
all these things are thus to be dissolved, since all this is going to take place, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. As we long for that day when our pain is going to be removed, Peter says, in our waiting and hastening, there ought to be in our lives holiness and godliness. Goes on, verse 14, and says, Therefore, my beloved, since you are waiting for these, since you're waiting for all this to happen, be diligent. Underline those words. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And the depth of emotion I have right now is because for the last few days, Eric, myself, and others have been walking with with a brother in Christ just trying to work through the devastation of sinful choices. And we all have those battles Maybe you're in the midst of some sinful choices right now. It's devastating. And you know it wreaks havoc in people's worlds. Peter is saying, we've got to be diligent. Diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. We've got to fight for our holiness. We have to fight for the holiness of people around us. Sin is devastating. It's not honoring to the Lord and it's destructive. Anything that Satan holds out there and says, eat of this, there's life. It's a lie. It destroys you and it destroys those around you. And in light of what we've been walking through the last few days, I beg of you, if you are sowing any seeds of evil in your life, I beg of you, get with a brother or sister in Christ and walk in the light. Because in Jesus, there is forgiveness. And in sin, there is death. We need to fight for our holiness. Don't play games with sin. Don't cultivate. Don't fertilize. Don't water. If anything like that is going on in your heart, let this be a warning to you from God. It's going to destroy you. No matter how private, how personal you might think it is, it's going to destroy. And God would want you to invite a brother or sister in and get that in the light. Confess there is forgiveness there. You see, we need to fight for this holiness. We need to fight for it. Many of you have walked through life with people battling sin. Many of you have had people walk through life with you as you battled sin. You've seen lives ruined and you see the pain that goes deep. There's a cost. And so what does Peter say? He says, be diligent. Underline those words. Be diligent in your life. Third, we should long for the Lord's return with the same patience that God evidences. Just Go back up in 2 Peter 3. We should long for the Lord's return with the same patience that God evidences. In verse 9, it says very clearly, they're talking about where's the coming of the Lord? You keep saying he's coming back. Well, where is he? Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. He is patient toward you. Why? Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance 
but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We don't know when this day is coming. And the Lord is being patient. Jesus has come. He died. He was buried. He rose again. Redemption was bought. We now can be justified because of what he's done. And God is being patient so that this message can go to the nation so that more and more people can hear the name of Jesus and receive this rich salvation that is freely offered by faith, by grace. So they also can be in the kingdom God is being patient. And in the same way, here's my point again, in the same way we might long for Jesus to come back so that our pain will be gone, we've got to have that same kind of intensity, that same kind of longing that the gospel will go to the nations, that your next door neighbor will hear about Jesus, that your coworker will hear about Jesus, your son or your daughter, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your great uncle, your estranged cousin, whoever it might be that they will hear about Jesus as well. That's why we support people like the Dinkins. That's why we have partners around the world. That's why we want to send 20% outside these walls because we want to see Jesus proclaimed. That's why when all of us walk out these back doors, we go as priests inviting people to know Jesus. As, as we prepare for Jesus' coming again, there needs to be a longing in us that people will get saved. We don't want to be a distracted people. Let's remember that as we wait in the midst of our difficulties that we long for Jesus to come back to take away, those are momentary and light. And let me change Paul's words. Those are momentary and light. Not only are they not to be compared with the eternal weight of glory, but the momentary light afflictions that we go through in Christ are nothing to be compared to a soul that goes into eternal damnation without ever hearing the name of Christ. And so the intensity that we have that we'll be out of our own pain is legitimate, but let's have the same intensity that the gospel will go to people who need to hear lest they spend eternity apart from Jesus. We have a fourth point. We should long for the Lord's return so that he will make the kingdom of this world the kingdom of our Lord and receive the glory due his name. In Revelation chapter 4, I love so many passages in the book of Revelation. But in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. We should long for that. For the Lord to receive the glory due his name. We ought to be people who give him that glory even now. In chapter five and verse eight, and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And it goes on down further, even later on, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We go to chapter 11, verses 15 through 17, which we've already read earlier even. 
chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Ultimately, I want to be the kind of man who when I look forward to the return of Jesus, legitimately, I feel like I can long for my pain to be gone. That's legitimate. It's biblical. But I want to be the kind of man that the deepest longing I have is for Jesus to receive the worship his name deserves. Do you follow me on this? That he receives the glory that is rightfully his. That around the world every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. I, w- I want to long for that more than I want to long to get out of my momentary light affliction. And so it's all legitimate. We've got all of these. As we think about the Lord coming back. As we partake even of the, the Lord's Supper where we remember his death, we're proclaiming his death, Jesus dead, buried, rose again to all the nations. As we proclaim that, remind ourselves that again, we are doing this until he comes back. And as we await that day, as we proclaim his death until he comes, we are longing for his coming to make all things new. We should be longing to be holy in light of the cross and his coming again. We should be longing for the gospel to go to the lost so the world can give glory to the Lord that's through his name. And we should be longing for the Lord to come so that this world becomes his kingdom. No more sin. No more resisting the sovereignty of his will. No more mocking his name. But he receives the glory that's due his name and this becomes his kingdom forevermore. And he is glorified forevermore. This is our celebration and this is our proclamation as well. We're going to move into a time of the Lord's Supper and I just ask you to to think about your longings. If you're longing to get out of your pain, that's legitimate. Long for that. But are you longing for your holiness with the same intensity? Are you longing for the gospel to go to the nations with the same intensity? Are you longing for the Lord to receive the glory to his name with the same intensity? That's what I want you to consider. That's what I want you to bring before the Lord. But let's do all of that as we come to the table. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward. What we're going to do is we're going to have five different stations, it looks like. We've got one with gluten-free right over there on this little bench. And then we'll have four other stations. People will be spread out across the front here. If you're new here, this is how we do this for believers, those who have put their faith in Christ. And we invite you to come forward when you're ready to one of these stations and you will take off a piece of bread and they will say, Christ's body for you. You will dip it in the cup and they'll say, Christ's blood for you. And you will partake. And what are you doing? You are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are longing for his coming again. And we want our longing to be deep and we want it to be accurate. And as you partake of that, consider your own longings together. Let me pray. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to be people who long for your glory? Who long 
for every knee, every, every knee to bow, every tongue to confess. Lord, would you stir in our hearts right now deeper longings than we've ever had before. Lord, you know where you need to meet us. Please meet us. Meet us right in these elements as we proclaim your death until you come again. So Lord, help each one of us in Jesus' name, amen. Just come as you are ready.